we return to our Bringing Light into Darkness show with our special guest, Alfred Desaius, more than 40 years in human rights law with the UN. He's discussing the illegitimacy under international law of Juan Guido, who the United States recognized as president of Venezuela because they could, but they did so in absolute contradiction to international law. Enjoy. So, I mean, the guy has no leg to stand on. He is a product of the State Department and of the White House and, of course, the super rich who want to put him there because the moment that they topple someone like Nicolas Maduro, it is the bonanza, it's the great looting possibility because everything, all the state property whether it be uh, the oil industry or the gold industry or, or the bauxite industry, everything. I mean, it's an incredibly wealthy country, Venezuela, mm-hmm. uh, will be then sold to American investors for little money. And as I said, it is going to be the great looting. Right. Except that I don't think it will happen because the Venezuelan people, at least 50%, support Nicolas Maduro. And the opposition has been always in internal intestinal fights among themselves. Meanwhile, we make their economy scream, as we did in the famous words in Chile, right, in 73, in order to make the people think it's a government that is being irresponsible and incapable of governing, rather than these very, very powerful outside influences of destabilization such as those that we routinely exercise as part of our foreign policy intervention. You know what I did when, you know that Spanish is my mother tongue. Mm -hmm. When I was the first rapporteur to visit Venezuela in 21 years. And before you go on, explain the language of what rapporteur means for the common listener that may not be from well the uh, united nations human rights council has a body of independent experts called rapporteurs who are appointed for six years on various topics there's a rapporteur on torture there's a rapporteur on extrajudicial executions there's a rapporteur on the right of development there's a rapporteur on the right of international solidarity. There is a working group on disappeared persons. These are the uh, rapporteurs. And I was appointed independent expert on international order in March uh, 2012. And I proceeded to produce 14 reports and issue more than 100 press releases in those six years. Much of it reflected in my book, Building a Just World Order, published by Clarity Press in Atlanta, Georgia, September 2021. So it's a fairly new book, has had some very good reviews. As the case may be, I was the first rapporteur in Venezuela in November, December. 2017. And besides all the official meetings that I had with 16 different ministries, I also had meetings with the opposition, with the National Assembly, with opposition non-governmental organizations, with opposition lobbies, with professors, both professors that supported and those who were opposed to the government. 
with students, etc. I really covered the field. And that was as far as my public official capacity. But then I went to my hotel later when I had no more meetings on the day. I took off my bow tie. I took off my formal suit. I put on a guayabera, if you know what a guayabera is, which is the local shirt that people done in um, Venezuela as they do in Cuba, as they do in Panama, etc., and jeans, and went to walk the streets to talk to people. And I can tell you that the vast majority of the Venezuelans blame the United States for their misery, blame the sanctions for the economic troubles that Venezuela has endured, and they do not blame Nicolas Maduro. So there is no, shall we say, what the United States would love to see. Uh, there is no brewing opposition that would overturn the results uh, of the elections of Maduro a year and a half ago. Mm -hmm. So Maduro is solidly in control and he will stay there. He's not going to be overthrown by his own people. Of course, yeah. he could be assassinated. And yeah. the United mm -hmm. States has made countless efforts to have him assassinated. The United States is well known for its policy of targeted assassination. You remember January 2020, when at the airport, the United States killed General Soleimani, yeah. Iranian general, and same as we killed uh, Che Guevara in Bolivia. I mean, mm -hmm. Che Guevara was murdered. I mean, when he was shot, he was unarmed. I mean, he was basically a prisoner of war, but he was eliminated. I mean, this is this Nazi art. This is well, well, let me uh... Let me ask you this, because I want to again remind folks that we're just visiting with the distinguished international law expert, Alfredo Desaias. And Mr. Desaias, you alluded to the Venezuelan sanctions and all of the very tough living conditions in Venezuela that Mark Weisbrot, the Center for Economic Policy Research, documented that over 40,000 deaths could be attributed to those sanctions and just a single. But that was period. only for the year 2018. Right, right. What and do you think happened in 2017? What do you think happened in 2019, right, 2020, right. 2021? Yeah, so the sanctions, they, and that's just a microcosm, right? It, it occurs throughout, you know, one third of the world's population is being sanctioned by the United States. Oh, it's Syria I, and it's Nicaragua and it's right. uh, Cuba and it's Iran. What I wanted to go back to is your article in your article that we're citing in Counterpunch. You said that back in 2006, the Commission on Human Rights, that the system of rapporteurs, if I'm understanding, was that abolished? In no, it was the commission as such. The commission was a, a larger body. It had 53 members. And the idea was actually the commission was not doing sufficiently the bidding of Washington. Washington would just as well have done away with the commission altogether. So the idea was to build a core council of 25 countries where, of course, the United States would have a permanent seat. And then we would have a filtering system so that only countries that supposedly respect human rights would be members, and those 25 countries would be able to judge the rest of the world. 
I mean, I consider that idea uh, a no-brainer, a non-starter from day one. But the United States really pushed for it. It failed. And in the end, what was created, the Human Rights Council, uh, was essentially the same wine with a different label, different name. Instead of 53 members, uh, then they have 47 members. But the members are, of course, divided into the Western group and other, the uh, Eastern Europeans, the Latin Americans, the Africans, and the Asians. And thus far, the United States and Europe have largely controlled the agenda. But that is shifting. I have observed over the last two, three years how uh, China has discovered its vocation, and it is much more active than it ever was before. And it has tabled some extremely important resolutions, one on colonialism and neocolonialism that was adopted last September 2021. And that has a lot of, shall we say, potential. And there is a follow-up to it. So that I have a certain optimism that the stranglehold that the United States had on the Human Rights Council will be effectively broken. Now, otherwise, what is important for your listeners is to know that they cannot trust Amnesty International, that they cannot trust the Human Rights Watch people or the International Service for Human Rights. There has been, over the past decades, a gradual politicization of all of these non-governmental organizations, which in essence are financed directly or indirectly by corporations, by the uh, National Endowment for Democracy, which finances an untold number uh, of non-governmental organizations that are only pushing the Washington consensus, pushing the Washington narrative. And people should realize that organizations that call themselves human rights organizations are not necessarily so. They are more in the service of the hegemon. And of course, they master perfectly well the jargon of human rights. Uh, They will just convince you that it's in your own interest to lose those human rights are key in the fields of social rights that other countries had been promoting in the Commission on Human Rights. So, Mr. Desais, that's really a consequence of the centralization of wealth, that the wealth and the monies that then go into these, quote-unquote, NGOs and such is controlled by the interests of the status quo that want to maintain the status quo and expand the wealth inequality, so to speak. So, that- no, I mean, the, the name of the game is to keep the rich rich and the poor poor. So that is the way the system works. They will not formulate it that way. They will find all sorts of plausible arguments to, to tell you that it is, in fact, for your own good. And what happens in the Human Rights Council is the selectivity, I mean, the double standards, that some countries are severely criticized 
and demonized, whereas other countries with horrendous human rights records are either left in peace or if their sins are being discussed, uh, they will be whitewashed. So we need urgently a reform, an overhaul of the human rights system. And that, by the way, is one of the chapters in my book, Countering Mainstream Narratives, to be published now in July by Clarity Press. Very provocative title for your book. Let me ask you, in the limited time that we have left, you've mentioned the sanctions. And under international law, what constitutes the legal sanctioning of other nations? Here we have one third of the world's population close to one third being sanctioned by the United States. Russia's been sanctioned way before its invasion of Ukraine. What constitutes the legal, internationally speaking, sanctioning of another country? Unilateral coercive measures. That is how we term sanctions in uh, UN jargon. Unilateral coercive measures are illegal. And there are any number of resolutions of the General Assembly and of the Human Rights Council that call them illegal. But here you have facts without consequences and laws without consequences, resolutions without consequences. The United States and, of course, the Europeans, who are the major sanctioning countries, they claim that is within their sovereignty. Of course, it is within your sovereignty whether you want to buy from country X or country Y. No one questions that. But when you are blockading the banks, when you are blockading financial transactions, etc., and the consequence thereof is that you are adversely impacting the economies of those countries, that constitutes the use of force. And the use of force is expressis verbis prohibited in Article 2, Paragraph 4 of the UN Charter. Now, the only sanctions that can be called legal are those imposed by the UN Security Council under Articles 41, 42 of the UN Charter. That is uh, Chapter 7 of the UN Charter. But uh, it doesn't matter. Blinken will continue saying that the sanctions are legal. So will Johnson, so will Trudeau, so will Olaf Scholz uh, in Germany. I mean, uh, the fact that you allege that something is legal does not make it legal. Besides, the High Commissioner for Human Rights, Navi Pillay, that was back in 2012, she issued a thematic report on unilateral coercive measures, that's report A slash HRC slash 19 slash 33, in which she very clearly called on countries to lift these illegal sanctions because sanctions kill. I mean, economic sanctions kill just as much as a bullet, just as much as a, a hot war. I mean, people die of scarcity of food, scarcity of medicine, inability to um, access uh, dialysis or access scanners or medical equipment, et cetera, et cetera. And that is deliberate. It's not accidental. We know that that is the consequence of the sanctions. And we want that. We want the people to suffer in this 
totally surrealistic expectation mm -hmm. that they will rebel against their leaders and go along with the sanctioning countries. It doesn't make any sense. That's why I told you I went walking the streets. That's why I wanted to know what are people really thinking? Mm -hmm. And do they blame, do they hate uh, Nicolas Maduro? No, they don't. Only the elite, only so, the very yeah. rich in Venezuela who are not making the kind of money they used to be make, make before, they're, of course, unhappy so uh, circling, with Nicolas so, Maduro. Right. So circling back to your article, we blasphemously redefine democracy as those nations that follow the dictates of the wealthiest nations and uh, become coalition of the willing, that's what defines democracy by giving up. The, the fact is, that it is not a coalition of the willing. It yeah. is a coalition of the coerced, coalition yeah. of the bullied yeah. who have little choice but to go along. And yeah. those are the economic realities. Mm -hmm. And uh, let us hope that an outcome of this unholy war in the Ukraine, that the credibility of the United States and of the European Union and of the NATO will be eroded, and that a new economic order will emerge in the world, which will be more attuned to the UN Charter, and that will be more attuned to the needs of the vast majority of the population of the planet and not just serve the interest of the 1%. So, Mr. Desires, I appreciate you going past the allotted time here. But before we let you leave, if people want to access your articles or want to access your written books and upcoming books and such, how can they follow your, your writings? And well, get as you know, I, I have a blog. And if you do Alfred Desires, Human Rights Corner, you will get my blog, which is desiresalfred.wordpress. Mm -hmm. And I also have Twitter. I also have uh, Facebook. Mm -hmm. And um, there are links there to my books, etc. Otherwise, on the website of Clarity Press, Atlanta, Georgia, mm -hmm. and you will see not only my books, but you will see the books of Professor uh, Richard Falk and of Professor John Dugard and of Professor uh, Erika Dias and of any number of major scholars who, although in their early careers, they published with Oxford University Press and Cambridge University Press and Simon and & Schuster, etc., because they are alternative and because they are presenting a view that departs from the uh, prescribed narrative of the mainstream, they are now with Clarity Press rather than with Oxford University Press. I mean, that has happened to me too. I've uh, written 11 books, and my first books came out with the top publishers, Routledge and Sehabek and Kohlhammer in Germany and uh, Hoffman and Kampen or whatever you want. Uh, and that ended, you know, because I am not towing anybody's line. I Thank am you. writing what I think is correct. As I said, I hope your listeners do not only 
show interest in my books. But I mean, if you read Jeffrey Sachs, professor at uh, Columbia University and good friend of mine, and Professor Richard Falk of Princeton, and of course, uh, Mark Weisbrot of the Center for Economic and Policy Research in Washington, D.C., there's plenty of people who think like I do. Unfortunately, none of us is in a position of political power. Right. And right. Uh, that is for your listeners, and that is uh, for the American people to reclaim. The American people must reclaim their democracy and right. refuse to be led by the nose by the likes of Anthony Blinken and company. And that starts with being informed and, and all of these resources that you've indicated are very powerfully. It's not just that people have different opinions. It's that opinions are based on the presence or absence of evidentiary basis, right? And I have been reading your works and I really appreciate the depth and you're in these countries and you're seeing these contradictions and you very eloquently express these contradictions, but based on the fact that it's not mainstream, people don't know that you exist. And that's what bringing exactly. I do not exist. Exactly that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Sir. But you do exist. And, and, yeah. and, and the written word will is there waiting for people to study and to uh, assimilate into their own understandings and such. So democracy, it fails. And there's no chance of democracy in an uninformed electorate. And thank you for bringing light into darkness tonight. And we'll look forward to following your work. And thank you so much for making yourself available today. Thank you, Pedro. All right, Till the next time. We'll see you next week. We need you to switch on over to the internet if you're not already there to access Lost in Paradise. Coming up next on 91.7 KOOP. It's a show that evolves around laid back grooves both old and new, nothing too slow or fast. Enjoy your time with Chad D. As we do every show, we take you out with Land of Naivety. See you next week. Two
Psychology. 